morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue where we left off. The Mishnah on the bottom of page 24b. Okay, look at Mishnah Ha'im and whoever says, and we continue on 25a. That good men should bless you. This is the way of heresy. Because only good people bless the Dashem. What you're saying is only good people and not wicked people. But the, we learned in Tractate Tainus that any fast day that does not include a Russia, Hashem does not listen, not acceptable, the prayer is not acceptable. Actually, the word Tzibur is an acronym for Tzadikim, Beninim, and Rishoyim. To make a congregation, you have to have Rishoyim. And we find, as we find in the, in the 11... 11, uh, um, 11 ingredients in the incense. One of them was Chalvino, which is Galvino, which actually has a horrible smell. Har- but, but when you add it together, like every perfume is something that, that's horrible. When you add it together, it makes it into, into perfume. It's something very special. Chalvino, Chalvino, Galvino, Galvino. Oh, the one that's really... Galvino, Galvino, Chalvino. Right, right. So you have to, you have to add, right. You have to itself, well, right, when you mix it in, then it's, you mix then it in, exactly. you don't even know it's there. Uh, have mercy on us, just like you have mercy on the bird's nest, um, that uh, you have to, you're not allowed to capture the mother while she's hovering over over chicks, the mother bird, you have to send her away. So Hashem has Rachmanas. So if you say, Hashem, have mercy on us, it's just like you have mercy on the bird. The bird is there because of her motherly love for her, her chicks. So you shouldn't take advantage of it. You have to leave her. You have to send her away. You can't capture her. So, so have mercy on us. Whoever says that, and whoever says, they're only going to mention, remember your name for good things that you do for us. Whoever says Maidim Maidim, he says twice Maidim Maidim, we give thanks. It's as if he's thanking two gods. <laughs> so, all of these three cases, you're silent. Because the reason we do mitzvahs is because Hashem commanded us, not because of, of the Rahmanas. You know, if, if it was because of Rahmanas, Hashem would not allow us to uh, eat at all, eat any animal. Take the life of any animal. And um, you're only thanking Hashem for the good things that happen in your life. Uh, the, uh, not good things, you're not thanking Hashem, you thank Hashem for everything. And you're saying, Maidim Maidim is as if, as, if you're, as if you're giving thanks to two gods, there's two domains. Then the Mishnah continues, one who interprets the Arayas as a euphemism. Parable, silence because, in other words, he wants to explain away all these immoral, these immoral um, sanctions that the Taylor gives against immorality. But he's a free person, you know. He's open. He's free. Anything goes. He has to wear chips. He's an American. He's an American. Anything goes, and everything goes. You know, I have my rights. He knows his rights. So therefore, he explains the Torah. Torah doesn't mean literally. Torah doesn't mean it's an abomination. You know, all these twisted minds who twist the words of the Torah and explain it euphemistically. So all of this, Mashat Kanaisa, you silence him. You have to silence. 
Taita means literally. Taita says what it means, it means what it says. Taita, Hashem is not shy with his words. <laughs> abomination is abomination. He says it and he means it. Whoever says. For example, he explains. It says you're not allowed to give your children over to the Moilah, to the idol Moilah, and used to take your son and cross it between fire or walk over fire. So you explain. I see it in Labra that it means that don't give your seed, don't don't impregnate an Aramean woman. Lahava means to transfer. Don't transfer your seed to a an idol worshiper. Who would be an Aramean woman? A non-Jewish woman. So, well, so no, that's easy to say, but would it be like... Because when, when a person has relations with a non-Jewish woman, you're actually transferring. You're transferring your seed, your Jewishness. Your essence now becomes a non-Jew. Because we go after the mother. But it's your seed. So your seed, your essence, the essence of a Jew, which is the essence of holiness, has now been transferred to a non-Jew. Your seed has now become non-Jewish. Hmm. So that's a horrible thing. So he <coughs> says, and that's why if someone has relations with a non-Jewish woman in public, a, a zealot, like Pinchas, yeah. takes him out if, if he catches him in the moment, in the action. Because the moment of transfer, that moment that you're violating, it's worse than, in a certain sense, it's worse than, idol- than, a, than adultery. Adultery is a terrible sin. Capital punishment. Having relations with an non-Jewish woman, there's no capital, capital uh, in the hands of the court. But in a sense, it's worse because you're violating, you're transgressing, you're transferring, you're, you're, you're tra- transferring holiness to the exact opposite. It's opposite. Your essence of Jewishness has now become part of become non-Jewish. So an, a kanoi a zealot who sees this 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 desecration happening before his eyes, takes his life in his own hands, or risks his life, and gives him the punishment that he deserves at that moment. He was defending his rabbi. Whoever interprets this way, you silence him and you condemn him. Because the literal meaning is that you, your life gets cut off if you pass your son through the fire for this god, for this molech. Cars. Right. I think the elites still worship Moloch, you know, and they have they have all these retreats they go to. <laughs> they make a fire and they they, they, they dance in front of Moloch, you know. Still, they're still worshiping Moloch. But um, but the but that's not what the Torah says. The Torah says that your life gets cut off if you have, if you have relations with a non-Jewish woman. It doesn't say you get cutters in the Torah. So if you're gonna uh, you're gonna explain the Torah, misinterpret it, and say it means this, it says one thing and it means something else, you have to silence it. The Torah speaks literally. The Torah says what it means. It means what it says. That's why all these all these rationalizations that the world is not really five thousand seven hundred and eighty-two uh-huh. years old, because a day is a billion years. You know, the Torah says each and every every each and every week what happened the first day, the sixth day of creation repeats itself. So Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and every week Hashem rests on the seventh day. So we're talking about days, twenty-four hour days. We're not talking about billions and billions yeah. of years. 
you know, those who try to take the Torah, it's not literal, and it's, 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 it doesn't mean what it says. Well, if the Torah is not literal, maybe when it says thou shalt not murder, it's also not literal. You know, thou shalt not steal. The Torah is literal. It says don't carry your son through a molech. Don't tell me it means don't have relations with a non-Jewish woman. It's very nice, but that's not what the Torah says. That's the mission. Okay. We can understand because it looks like you're thanking two gods. Also, you silence someone if he says, I'm only thanking Hashem for the good. Not as if you're saying, I'm only going to thank Hashem when things are good. When things are bad, I'm not thanking Hashem. With none, we learn the mission in the last chapter in Brachas. You have to be obligated to thank Hashem. We make a blessing. The worst tragedy happens. You make a blessing. You thank Hashem. So you have to thank Hashem for the bad, just like you thank Hashem for the good. Okay, that makes sense. What's the problem if you say, just like Hashem had Rachmanus and the mother bird? And the mother had, and so too, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should have Rachmanus on us. What's so terrible? You have to silence him. What, what's the, what's the. In the West, in Israel, there are two Amidoim argued in the reasoning. <laughs> One of them is explained. Because you're leading, you're causing jealousy amongst the handiworks of Hashem. Hmm. Because if, why does Hashem only have mercy on the on the bird, not on the animals? He allows us to shech the animals. If Hashem has mercy; He shouldn't allow us to shech the animals. One says. One of them said, You're making the mitzvahs as if it's mercy. Really, it's, all, it's only decrees. Hashem gave us mitzvahs as a yoke. We do it because Hashem wants to, us to do it. The whole Torah is a chok. Yeah, we're submitting ourselves to Hashem's will, even if it's not, even if it's not logical. So I'm not doing it because it makes so much sense to me. It's so kind, it's so sensitive. Hashem is so kind, it's so sensitive. That's not the reason. The Ramban says, of course, Hashem gives us mitzvahs because he's try- it's for our sake. It's not for the Rachmanus and the bird, but it's to instill in us Rachmanus. It's to instill in us these attributes of, of compassion. So when you say you have Rachmanus in the bird, it's not Hashem Rachmanus in the bird. Hashem had to have, it's, it's for us. He had Rachmanus on us. He wants to refine us. So every mitzvah, certain mitzvah, mitzvahs have a certain quality. They also refine us. Besides the general overarching point of all the mitzvahs, it's the will of Hashem, period. doesn't matter which mitzvah it is. Important. That is a, a, a strict mitzvah, a simple mitzvah. All the mitzvahs are the will of Hashem. And I do it equally, because this is Hashem's will. But each mitzvah has a certain characteristic trait that's meant to refine us in a certain way. So of course the, there is an intent, and you have to have that in mind, that the Hashem wants us to refine us, to be sensitive to the animal, to be sensitive to the, to the feelings of the, of the bird. So it's not about the bird, it's about us. Mm-hmm. It's refining us, not that he had the Rahmanus in the bird, but Hashem had Rahmanus in us.
And the other Amayra also agrees that mitzvahs are, are a decree. But nevertheless, he said that wouldn't be a reason enough to silence a person said that, you know, Hashem had Achmanus in the birds. He said, the reason is because you're going to lead to jealousy amongst Hashem's handiworks. Why is Hashem only have Achmanus in the bird and not in the animal? Okay. You might have continued with Nachas Kamedirab. Someone went. He went, he was the chazan in front of Rab. Omar, he said, at the chastal at the and he said, that's what he did. The chazan said, on the mother bird, so too you should have on us. Yeah, Rahman. So you're not allowed to slaughter a mother or the father and and the and the offspring together the same day. So too you have Rahman as an us. Rabba says, Wow. He really knows how to find favor with Hashem. And he was very pleased. That was a very good argument he gave to Hashem. Amalei Abayi, Abayi said to Rabbi, what do you mean? When Meshach Nezitnan, it says in our Mishnah, you silence him. You're not allowed to say this. just like Hashem and Rachman is in the bird of Rachman is in us. Why are you praising him? He might answer, he was testing Abayi. He was waiting to elicit Abayi's reaction. He wanted to see if Abayi will, will jump up and say, Rabbi, what do you, how could you say that? In the Mishnah it says not. Because of course you're not allowed to say that. It wasn't good what he said. Like we all say in the beginning, right? The great one, the mighty one, the awesome one, but he kept on saying, the strong one, the strong one, it's all different expressions. And then he was and then he stopped, Amalei. Rabbi Hanina said to the Chazan, You're ready finished with all the praises? That's it? These three that we do say, If not for that, then Moshe mentioned it in the title. He calls Hashem, And the rabbis of the Great Assembly instituted that that should be the prayer. We wouldn't say it. But Amrit Kulai, and you are not only saying these three, you're adding all these other praises. Marshal Adam, he gives a parable. A parable of a person saying, He had. Is how much? A thousand times a thousand is a million. He had a billion. He had a billion Dinizav, a billionaire. And you praise him. He has a thousand silver coins. He has a billion golden coins. How much a billion is? A thousand times a thousand times a thousand. And you praise him, but he has a, he has a, he has a thousand silver coins. Bitcoins. <laughs> you think you're praising him? You're insulting him. <laughs> What, what, are you, what are you telling me? I have a thousand silver coins. I have a thousand times a thousand times a thousand golden coins. 
So Hashem is infinite, and, and you're praising Him? What are you praising Him? You're limiting Him. You're limiting Him. You're limiting Him. So if, so if, even a God like unless it was written in the Torah, and the rabbis of the Great Assembly instituted it, we would not be allowed to say that also. What are you praising Hashem? It's like an insult. You're saying Hashem is great. Hashem is awesome. Hashem is mighty. It's an insult. It's, that's all. It's limiting. Hashem is infinite. Hashem is undefined. Moshe didn't say it. We couldn't say it. Everything is in the hands of heaven with the exception of the fear of Hashem. It says, What does Hashem ask of you? All, all Hashem is asking is you should be afraid. In other words, that's something Hashem is requesting of us. Hashem can't do that for us. Everything Hashem does for us. But one thing He can do. You have to choose to be in awe of Hashem. You have to choose to, be, to realize Hashem and to sense the reality of Hashem and to live your life accordingly. Hashem can't do that for you. As McLeod, the Yidam Milsa's with the see here. All Hashem is asking is to be a fear of Hashem. That's it. As if it's a small thing He's asking of us. We know how difficult it is. Yeah. As mother tells the story, Rabbi Yechem ben Zake, in his deathbed, the student asked him, what are you leaving with us with? He says, Halavai, your fear of Hashem should be like the fear of a human being. Happy, that's it. That's, that's your legacy. That's your the summation of all your wisdom. That's what you're leaving us after 120 years. He says, yeah, I'll prove it to you. Because with someone, if you're not alone, if there's someone in the room, you won't behave a certain way. The guy could be a shmendrik, a stranger. But someone is here, you know, you don't pick your nose, you don't do certain things that you would do when no one is around. Because you're embarrassed, you're ashamed. But when you're alone, what do you mean you're alone? Hashem is here. So it means Hashem is so insignificant in your life, Hashem is so much not a reality in your life, that the biggest shmendrik is more real to you than Hashem. So whom are you kidding? That's all I'm asking you. That's a tremendous thing. Halavai. That the fear of Hashem, the reality of Hashem, Hashem is present right in front of you. It says in the Code of Jewish Law, when a Jew wakes up in the morning, you have to jump out of bed. Imagine the king is standing in front of you. How many Jews jump out of bed and feel the sense Hashem is standing, is, is, is standing right, right, right in front of you? Well, Hashem has to be a reality in your life. It's not a small thing. What do you mean? All I, Hashem says, all I'm asking of you is to fear me. That I should, my, my, I should be a reality in your life. My presence should be a reality in your life. That's it. It's a small thing. Mm-hmm. But the answer is in, yes. It's a small thing. It's a minor thing. It's a minor thing. It's a minor thing. It's like analogous, a person... You ask for a, a large vessel. He has it. The utensil appears to him like a small utensil. If you, have, you ask someone a big vessel and he has it, so it's like no big deal. Okay, I can give it to you. Yeah, it's a big ask. It's a big ask, but for me it's no big deal. I can write you a million dollar check. No big deal. I'm a billionaire. I can do it. Cotton veinle, a person who doesn't have a small utensil. He asked him, they will love like God. It's asking too much. It's a big ask. Even the smallest ask is big. The question is, how does he want to answer the question? Hashem is not speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Hashem is speaking to every Jew that ever lived and every Jew that's alive today and every Jew that will ever live. Hashem is speaking to us in the year 2022 in the Upper East Side. What am I asking of you? All I'm asking of you is to be to have fear of me. Mm-hmm. Question the mother says, what do you mean? It's a small thing that you're asking. It's a, it's a huge thing. As the parable that he just gives. We don't even have a small utensil. For us, even that ask is a big ask. So what is it, how does it help us? For Moshe, it's no big deal. We're not Moshe. Hashem is asking us. So Hasidus explains because each and every one of us has a spark of Moshe. You know what the nickname for every Jew in Eastern Europe was? Moshka. Every Jew is Moshka. Because the non-Jew knows that every Jew is a miniature Moshe. So by Moshe it's not a big deal, then for us it's not a big deal. Because we have a little Moshe inside of us. If there's a tzaddik in the world, that means every one of us has a little tzaddik. If there's a Mashiach in the world, every one of us has a spark, a little bit of Mashiach inside of us. If it's out there, it's in here. So we have, when you tap into the Moshe inside of you, then it's no big deal, and Hashem is a reality in your life, and you could live that, your life that way. Hashem is real. Everything is in the hands of, of, of Hashem except Yiddish Shemayim. In other words, when the person is born, it's decreed. You're going to be wealthy, you're going to be poor. You don't have a choice. I'm going to live in the Upper East Side and Lower East Side. That's not your choice. <laughs> Hashem made that choice for you when you were born already. Um, you know, you're going to be wise or foolish. That's Hashem's choice. But how you live your life, whether you fear of Hashem and you live a God-fearing life, that's in your hands. That's our choice. said, Just like you're not allowed to say, thank you, I thank you. So also you're not allowed to say, listen, listen. For the same reason. It's as if, it's as if you're referring to two gods. May I'll ask you a question in the Whoever reads the Shema and repeats it, it's Maguna. It's not. It's not. Yeah, yeah it's not. A, it's not a nice thing. Yeah, it's reprehensible. Megunahu da'ave. It's reprehensible. You don't silence it. Maidim, maidim. The mission says you silence. How could how could Rab Zayda say that if someone says Shema Shema twice, he also silences him? And the Brayse says it's reprehensible. You don't silence him. It's not a contradiction. When does Abzadeh say that you, that you silence him when he says each word twice? Shema, Shema. Yisrael, Yisrael, Hashem, Hashem. When, he never really does say so all that, Yeah, yeah. So that, that you have to silence him. But if he says the whole Shema Yisrael, and then he repeats it again, then it's reprehensible, but you don't silence him. Milsen, I'm sorry, you're right. Just the opposite. Right, yeah. If someone says Shema Shema, then it's reprehensible. But you don't silence him. But if he says the verse and then he repeats it again, then you have to silence him. If you say every word twice, it's foolish. Well, why are you saying Shema Shema, Yisrael, Yisrael? It's like a ridiculous. I remember someone used to daven, but he would say like every word like twice. 
you know, it was like he was maybe trying to concentrate and make sure that he got every word right. But it's foolish, but it's not. It's not but the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, would not like when the Chazan would repeat words. Yeah, maybe, maybe for this reason, you know. You know, you know Black feels that way too. Repeat words. We take the Torah scroll, take Tesera, Tesera. So first we say the Tesera, and then the Chazan waits, and he says Tesera. We don't say it twice. Right, right. So, so, right. So, so he would be careful. You shouldn't, even though some songs we do sing. So I guess it depends. But, but when you say the same verse over again, it's as if you're talking about two different gods. That's, then you have to silence. Maybe the reason he's repeating the Shema Yisrael because he didn't have a mind. You have to have Kavana. When you say Shema Yisrael, you're unifying Hashem. You have to have Kavana. And maybe he's repeating it again to make sure he has Kavana. So why are you silencing him? What are you? You're God's best friend here? <laughs> if you don't have in mind, if you don't have, if you don't focus, you don't have kavana. Then I will strike him with a blacksmith's hammer until he concentrates. You're playing around with Hashem. Yisrael, oh, okay, then have kavana. I'll repeat it again. Hashem is not, is not your friend. Because you have to teach him that he has to have kavana the first time around. You don't get a second chance. You don't get a do-over. You know, you're standing in front of Hashem. You're davening. What, what do you You know, Hashem is your friend there. You just uh, casually, okay, I didn't get it right the first time. You know. Life is not a computer game. In a computer game, you can knock someone out and then you just start over again. It's no big deal. Try scratching someone's a bender, a bender fender, whatever, a fender bender. You, you call the police, you don't say, well, come on, you know, let's do it over. Don't do over. In real life, there's no do over. Mm. So you're standing in front of Hashem, what do we do? Do over? This is real life. Make sure you get it right the first time. Oh, I knocked someone down, I hurt someone. Oh, okay, let's do it over. <laughs> no, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. If someone tries to euphemistically interpret when the Torah speaks about the immoral relations, he is silenced. Come Rabbi is referring to and when it says you're not allowed to have relations with your mother and your father, you'll say it means you're not allowed to disgrace your mother or disgrace your father. Then the mission says you interpret it means you're not allowed to have relations with a non-Jewish with a non-Jewish woman. He says the verse is saying that Bishmo learns that someone interprets the verse, someone who has relations with a non-Jewish woman, and therefore brings his son into the world is going to worship the Molech, is going to worship the idol. And then therefore, and the Torah says your life gets cut off, and it's a, it's a misinterpretation. Is that what the Torah is saying? Having relations with a non-Jewish woman, the Torah doesn't say your life gets cut, gets cut off. If you have, if you bring your son, pass him through the fire, and you're bringing him to the idol of Mola, then your life gets cut off. So you're not allowed to interpret the Torah halacha and the Torah 
euphemistically. The Torah speaks very clear. The Torah is very, very clear. When it comes to halacha, the mitzvahs, the Torah is very clear. That's why it says you're not allowed to... The Torah is very careful in its expression. It only speaks a very clean language. Right? In Parshish Noah, Hashem tells Noah, bring me the animal that's pure and the animal that's not pure. Shem Could have just said Tameh. We learned in the beginning of Epsachim that Hashem added eight letters to speak in a clean language. But we find throughout the Torah, it's pure, impure, impure, impure. When it comes to halacha, you have to speak clearly, decisively. You can't speak euphemistically. Imagine a doctor, a patient. The doctor will speak to the, speak to the patient in parables, euphemistically. I don't want to say black and white. The patient needs to know. Am I dying? Am I not dying? Am I critically ill? I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to... Let me speak euphemistically. Come on. I need to know what's going on. You're not doing me any favors if I'm dying and you're telling me that everything is wonderful. Because I don't want to offend anyone. So someone's heart is, is about to pass out, has a defect. I don't want to hurt, insult anyone. So we're going to say that you, you don't have any defect. If a person has a, a defect, you know, suddenly I don't want to hurt anyone's feeling. Like today, you know, any, any insanity that any insanity that anyone has, God forbid we should hurt anyone's feelings. Everything has to go. If a person is psychologically deranged, a man decides he's a woman, the woman decides he's a man, he's psychologically, mentally challenged and needs a lot of, a lot of help. It's cruel. What society is doing today is cruel. Instead of helping them get, it, get the help that they need, you're encouraging it and say, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Therefore, anything goes. It's like a person who's dying, his heart is a about to collapse and say, oh, it's wonderful. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Suddenly it's not a problem. You have, you have no defect. No one has any defects. Everyone is healthy. Everyone is okay. I mean, it's cruel. It's the height of cruelty. You have to speak clearly. You have to speak decisively. The Torah says what it means. It means what it says. Black and white. An abomination means an abomination. Literally. It doesn't mean... Don't try to euphemistically explain away... Torah speaks yeah. very simply, very down to earth, very clearly, and very decisively. Next mission. Wow. the The story of Ruven that he he um, he took the bed, he mixed up the bed of his father. You have to read it, but don't translate it. It says a literal. Uh, the, the verse says that he went, he 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 laid down with Billa. The rabbis say it doesn't mean literally that he he went to bed with her. He was intimate with her. It means that that after Rachel died, Yaakov removed his bed and placed in the tent of Billa, which who was Rachel's concubine. And he and instead of bringing the bed into Leah which is Reuben's mother, so therefore he was insulted, so he took the bed out of Billah, and he took it, he took Yaakov's bed out of Billah's tent, and put it in Leah's tent. So, so, the table, even, so for Reuben, this was considered a major, major, major sin, so the Torah labels it as if he went to bed with, uh, with Billah. So you should read it in the Shul, but don't translate it. Because people who don't understand Hebrew won't understand. They'll take it literally. They'll think that Reuven committed, a, you know, he had relations with a married woman. 
with his father's concubine. So therefore, just read it, but don't translate. But this episode of Tamar, however, you can read and translate. The episode of Tamar is in, 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 the, in the book of, of Genesis, where Yehuda had relations with Tamar. He didn't realize that she was Tamar. She hid in the road and she pretended to be a prostitute. That you could read and you could translate. And what will explain why? Why are you worried about Reuven's honor and you're not worried about the Yehuda's honor? Mm. First episode of the calf. First in, in Parshas Kisisa. You could read and, and interpret and translate, even though it puts the sheds, it shows the Jews in a very negative light. And the second episode. Second episode. In other words, Moshe and Aaron. That's not translated. Because when he divides this, the narrative of the eagle, the golden calf, from Parshish Kisis in the book of Exodus into two parts. The first part is Hashem tells Moshe go down. Moshe is late, and they made the golden calf. Hashem tells Moshe go down, and then the second half is when Moshe comes down. He speaks to Aaron. He says, "What happened?" And Aaron says, "I threw it into the fire. I took the gold, and the calf came out." So, if you're going to read it for the un- for the unlettered, for the uneducated who don't understand Hebrew and need a translation. It's going to sound like as if the calf willed itself into existence. That it was real. The Hebrew you're allowed to read because they don't understand it. So they'll just read it, it's not a problem. But, but, but don't interpret it for them. In the priestly blessing, the story of David. And Amnon, that Amnon and his sister Tamar, he raped his sister Tamar, the book of Samuel. Amnon, David's son, the prince. So these two, you read, but don't translate the story for the unlettered. Then the Mishnah continues, You don't read the Merkava as after the story of the chariots. Rabbi Huda permits it, and that's the Allah. That's what we do today. On the first day of Shavuot, we read the narrative of the Merkava, of the chariots. Because at Mount Sinai, all the heavens opened up. They saw everything. They saw also the chariots. We don't read as It's an Ezekiel. It speaks very pejoratively of Yerushalayim. It mentions all the abominations committed, therefore. So, therefore, he says we don't read it. It's an abom- it's, it's, it's disgraceful for Yerushalayim. That's the mission. From the Rabbana, the rabbis learn Yesh Niklin Metargimin. There are sections that we read and we translate. 
Obviously, why not? Well, why, did, why, why shouldn't we? Malatem, I would think, you're going to read it, it may come. It may come to lead to all sorts of questions. What happens, what's above, and what's below, what's above the, the, the angels, and what's below them. You're going to ask questions that you can't answer. The mind cannot, cannot, uh, cannot uh, uh, perceive. So maybe you shouldn't you shouldn't read it or you shouldn't translate it. The malafnim malach. We continue on twenty five b. You're gonna ask what was before? What was before creation? Why wasn't the world created before? What happened before? And what's gonna happen after? After the world is destroyed, Kamashmalan. Therefore, he comes to let us know that you, you read it and you translate it. We're not worried about it. The next one is Maisel Loit Targum, the story of Loit and he had relations with his two daughters and they gave birth. You can read and you translate. Pshita, why not? I would think we should be concerned about the honor of Avram, the uncle Avram, that his nephew had incest with his two daughters. So maybe you shouldn't translate that you're allowed to read it and translate it. Because even though they, he was his nephew, it doesn't reflect on Avram. Just because he was his nephew, it, it doesn't reflect on Avram. Right. Or because what they did was for the sake of heaven. They thought the whole world was destroyed, and therefore to perpetuate mankind, they had no choice. Like Adam, like Adam and Chava and, and Cain and Hevel had relations with their sisters because there was no one else. So he, then he says, Maisa Tamar, Yehuda, Nikra Metargim, this is a story of Tamar and Yehuda, you read and translate, Pshita, obviously, what do you mean? It's disgraceful to Yehuda. He had relations with the prostitute. It's embarrassing. On the contrary, this leads us to, Yehuda is called, comes from the word Yehuda, that it's a praise, he admitted, the fact that he admitted in public, he admitted in front of his father, in front of Yitzchak, his grandfather, in front of all the tribes. He was the leader, he was the king, and nevertheless, he admitted the truth that he had relations with Tamar. He could have easily been silent, and uh, and she would have died with the two pregnant children, with with the two children she was pregnant with. And nevertheless, he had the courage, and that's why he was chosen as king because he had the courage of his conviction. He had the truthfulness, even though it cost him. He was embarrassed. So therefore, it's ultimately to his praise. The first narration of the episode of the eagle, until Moshe speaks to Aaron, is read and translated. Obviously, because I would think we should be concerned about the honor of the Jews. It's, it's very, it's very, it's horrible what they did. The worst treachery in Jewish history. Until Laszlo, he comes to teach us. On the contrary, it's agreeable for them. Why? This is an atonement for them. Let everyone read. Every Jew in the future is going to read about this sin, and this will be an atonement. Or will inspire people that you can repent. Even the worst treachery in the world, repentance is possible. It's never too late. 
So that's an inspiration for every Jew going forward, no matter how far you've fallen, how far gone you've gone, and how low you've fallen, there's still hope. And that's an atonement for them. If you take this episode and it becomes a source of inspiration, get close to Hashem, do tshuva, that's the ultimate atonement. The curses and the blessings in the Torah. In both parshas B'chukhoisen and parshas Kisava, you read and translate pshit, obviously, why not? I would think maybe it's too much. It will demoralize the congregation. You hear such curses. The worst anti-Semite in the world doesn't speak about Jews like Hashem speaks about Jews and the prophets. The curses against the Jewish people, this is Hashem is cursing us. The Torah is cursing us. The prophets speak so sharply. The worst, the anti-defamation league would ban the Torah because how dare you speak about the Jews? They would. So you would think it would completely demoralize us. Hashem is speaking to us about, like, like, speaking about us this way. The prophets are speaking about us this way. So Kamash Malani comes to teach us. No, you have to read it and you have to translate it. Because ultimately, ultimately it's the ultimate act of love. Only Hashem who cares about us so much. Like a parent. If your beha- child misbehaves, you slap your child. If a stranger misbehaves, well, it's not none of my business. What do I care? It's not my child. But if my child acts like a wilde chaya, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline them because I care about them. It's the ultimate act of love. Hashem cares about us too much to let us get away with murder and say, oh, I'll just live as I please and I'm going to deny my Jewishness and who, what difference does it make? Hashem says, no. As hot as the ancient Nikra Metargim in the Torah's warning and the punishment you read and you translate, Pshita, obviously, why not? Mao, the Torah, I would think, Nechash the Muslim, Mevin Miyida, you may come to serve Hashem out of fear. Hashem wants us to serve Him out of love. You have to love Hashem. Maybe you're only going to be careful because you're, you're afraid of punishment. So Kamash Malani comes to teach us, no, because it's an addition. Because, firstly, in addition to loving Hashem, you also have to be a fear of Hashem. But the truth is, when it comes to not doing a sin, it doesn't matter what your motivation is. You have a concept that a mitzvah has to be done l'shma. There's no such concept that a sin has to be done l'shma. I don't care what it takes. Sin is poison. Whatever it takes not to take that poison. But you're doing it for ulterior motives. You're afraid you're going to be, you're going to get beaten up, or you're going to get hurt, or you're going to get punished. Who cares? Don't eat the poison. There's no mitzvah that aveda has to be done l'shma. It's poison. You have to stay away from it. Whatever it takes. Don't jump into fire. Don't hurt yourself. So the Torah says, yes, say all the punishments and say all the warnings. Who cares if the motivation is, I don't want to get hurt. As long as you're not going to do the sin, as long as you're not going to hurt yourself. The story of Amnon and Tamar, you read and you translate. The episode of Avshalom's rebellion. Oh, Avshalom also had illicit relations with his father's concubine when he rebelled against his father. And he tried to kill his father. And he, he, uh, he, he became king. So to show, to demonstrate 
that he is king, he had relations with his father's concubines, which was illegal. So you're allowed to tell the story and uh, translate it. Pshita, obviously. I would think David. I should uh, be concerned about the honor of David, who is the father of Amnon and Abshalom. We're talking about the, his children. If his children went bad and turned sa- and went sour, it reflects badly on David. For the unlettered, why are you translating it for the unlettered and uneducated? So Kabashalon, he says, no, you should translate it. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's a lesson. Mm-hmm. How, that, that, how, how much you have to put into the education of your children. You know, it says that David, because he never, he never disciplined these children, therefore they, they turned out to be very uh, wild. That you have to be careful. It's a, it's a, it's a Musar Haskell. How careful you have to be to educate, make sure. Like someone came to the rabbi, a, mother, a father and a mother came to the rabbi, and he said, we're having problems with our 13-year-old uh, boy. The rabbi says, he's 13 years too late. Education starts the moment they're born. It's like a seed. A little scratch in the seed will end up with a crooked tree. Don't wait until they grow up. Education begins right, right when they're born, even before they're born. The mother goes to the mikveh, the child is conceived in purity and holiness. The act of, uh, of conception is done in purity and holiness and love. So everything affects the child. So maybe it's a lesson. The Torah wants everyone to learn this lesson. You have to be careful. You can be dove themselves, but, but your children can turn out the wrong way. And maybe we bear a certain responsibility. Mm. We can do something about it. The story of Pelegish and Giva, where they raped her. You read and you translate. Pshita, obviously. You should be concerned about the honor of the tribe of Minyamin. No, let, let everyone know what a holy people the Jewish people were. There was this rape, and they went to war. Why did they go to war? Not because of territory or for oil or for money. They went to war because the chutzpah, a woman was raped, and they, the tribe of Benjamin did not bring the criminals to justice, like our DA, new DA here who let everyone know that he's no longer going to prosecute yeah. any crimes anymore. You know, and you're not bringing people to justice. These are, these are the new DA, DAs we have in America, yeah. thanks to George, uh, to, to Tzadis, Mr. Tzadis. So, so to show how moral the community was. The, the community did not stand for it. And they waged a war, and they were about to eliminate the entire tribe of Minyamin for allowing this immorality in their midst. But not prosecuting criminals. You ready go? The section of the prophet which says, make known to Yerushalayim her abomination is read and translated. Not like in the mission. In the mission, Abelazar said, you don't, you don't read this Naftar. But here he says, you read it and you translate. Pshita, obviously. To exclude the opinion of Rabbi There was a story with a, a person, He's reading before Rabbi Lezer, this section. Until you start... Uh, uh, still you start investigating the abominations of Yerushalayim let's investigate the abominations of your mother 
but to Achra, they checked him and they found he had a blemish. His mother was not so moral. Even though he followed the opinion of the rabbis, disagree with Abelazar, but he was he was he was reading in front of Abelazar. It was Abelazar's shul. It was his authority, so he should have taken that into consideration because he had no respect for the rabbis. It showed that his lineage was blemished, and indeed they found a, a blemish in his lineage. Okay, so that's the first part. But these are called, and you don't you read it, but you don't translate it. And the simon is mnemonic is ravdim. So he says rudeish is meiser ruven. You can And the story of Ruven, you read, but you don't translate. The people shouldn't, the unlettered shouldn't think that Ruven, God forbid, committed adultery. With his father's concubine. went to the city of Kabul. Cantor of the Shrol read, and it came to pass when Israel dwelled. And Reuven, the story of Reuven. And Reuven went and he went to, and he bedded, he went to bed with Bila. said to the translator, Stop translating, only translate the last one. Only translate the end of the verse. That the sons of Jacob were twelve. The end of that same verse, the Torah concludes, which teaches us they were all righteous. That it doesn't mean literally that he committed adultery with his father's concubine. So only that part translates. The sages praise Abraham Gamliel for what he did. The second narrative of the ego when Moshe speaks to Aaron and Aaron starts telling him what happened. You read and you don't translate. Which is considered the second narrative? Moshe spoke to Aaron once he came down the mountain. Until the verse and Moshe saw. Because you, even though the reason why you omit is because for that one verse, because it says that the calf came out, they threw it into the fire and the calf came out. So it's only one verse. Why are you omitting all these verses? Because if it was only one verse, you you get everyone's curiosity. You know, whenever the judge says to the jury, strike it from the record, that's the only part they remember. <laughs> so they get curious, and they, they want to know, and they'll start asking. Here, a whole, a, whole pa- a whole paragraph, a whole bunch of verses you're not translating, so they won't, they won't understand, they won't come to figure, you know, won't pick their curiosity. Okay. Tanya, we learn, the son of Allah says, A person always has to be careful with his answer. Because from Adam's reply to Moshe, the agitators acted brazenly. Mm-hmm. And they said, You see, there's something to idolatry. It says, I threw into the fire and out came the calf. As if the calf has a life of its own, as if the, the, the golden calf really is a power, is a force. And that's the reason we don't translate it. The priestly blessing you read, but you don't translate. Why? My time, why not? Because it says, Yisa, that Hashem should show favoritism, should turn his countenance to us. And Hashem, it says Hashem doesn't show, show favoritism to anyone. So the unlettered would not understand this. 
why is Hashem showing favoritism if they don't deserve it? Mm-hmm. It says in the Torah, Hashem practices what He preaches. A judge is not allowed to show favoritism. And the Malachim, it says in Baruch, as we learned, the Malachim asked Hashem, how do you show favoritism? When it says in the Torah, you're not allowed to show favoritism. He says, what can I do? It says in the Torah, you should eat and you should be full and then you should thank Hashem. What can I do? The Jewish people even eat a kezayis and a kebeya and they, they, they say grace after the meal. It's so strict. So just like they go beyond the letter of the law, how can I also not show favoritism to them and go beyond the letter of the law, even if they don't deserve it, that I should, I, that I should bless them anyway? But nevertheless, the unlettered, the, uh, the simple and the unlettered, they won't understand this. It seems like an obvious contradiction. They don't understand the subtleties and the reasoning. So therefore, you don't bother, you don't translate. Because again, and you have to trans- uh, omit the whole thing. Because if you're just going to omit one thing, it's going to pique their, their, their curiosity. Why this word you didn't translate, everything else. You don't translate the whole priestly blessing, okay? So they won't understand, they won't figure out why... The story of David and Amnon and his son Amnon, you don't read and you don't translate. That he raped his sister. Come, or you don't read and you don't translate. We just read before that the story of Amnon, you read and you translate. Well, the Kasha is not a contradiction. Whenever it says Amnon, the son of David, then you don't read and you don't translate. You don't embarrass David. It says, Amnon, it's not associated with David, then you do read it. Hmm. Wow. Okay, we're going to conclude the chapter, chapter 3. The rabbis learn. Oh, verses that are written in the Torah. Indelicately. When you recite it in front of the, in front of the congregation, you read it delicately. You're going, for example, it says Yishkavena. So you read Yishkalena, Yishkavena, Yishkalena. Instead of Yishkalena, we read Yishkavena. Yishkalena means you should betroth a woman in the curses, and another man shall consort with her. Consort with her. Instead, you read Yishkavena. will lie with her, which is a more delicate expression. It says, Bapailim, we read Batchairim. Both words refer to the anus. Batchairim is a little less explicit than Bapailim. Chiriyainim, Divyainim. It says that there was a, a hunger, a big hunger, tremendous hunger. In Shemra, in famine, this is in the Book of Kings. And they were, they were besieging it until a donkey's head sold for 80 silver pieces hmm. and a quarter cup of dove's dung sold for five silver pieces. So instead of dung, a dove's dung, we read divyainim. It means the flow of the doves, which refers to the same thing, but it's a little more of a refined expression. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful. When you speak in public, you have to speak refined. So when even you're reading in the title, you read refined. To eat their dung, to drink. The urine, we read. To eat their tzayim, to drink, which means the same, but it's a little more refined. Wow. 
Chodeim is dung, it comes from the hole, from the anus. Instead, you write Sayasam, which is excrement, but it's a less graphic. Chodeim is very graphic. Instead of Meimeshineim, Meimeshineim is loose stools. Because it comes from the rectum, which is supported by three teeth like lens, like teeth. Instead, we say, which means urine. It says, it says in the Book of Kings, in reference to the idol of Baal, so it was torn down and made into mechroyes. A word comes from the word hole, to the anus, mechroyes. Instead, we read Lemaitsoyis, which is a more delicate expression. It suggests excrement. Rabbi Yeshua ben Karachim and Rabbi Shua ben Karachim says, Lemacharoyis kishmat. Lemacharoyis is read as it is written. You don't change it. Because you're embarrassing the idol. You should embarrass the idol. Don't change anything. It should be as embarrassing and as graphic as ever. You're not allowed to make mockery. Mockery is forbidden with the exception of mocking, mocking idols. It says, It says, it's written, the Baal squats, the voice splashes. Hmm. It's written. In the next verse, they splash, they squat together. They cannot deliver the burden. This is in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the script, the Pasuk is, is, is ridiculing the idols. It's likening them to someone who cannot contain his movement in his bowels. And it just flows out with a splash. Rabbi Yannis says the proof is from here. Because of the calves. A base oven, the inhabitants of Shevron will be afraid. Its people mourn over it, and its priests who have rejoiced over it, for its glory has departed from it. Don't read but its burden. The priests would have rejoiced over the voiding of its burden, the feces which weighed down the idol. Yeah. A Jew can tell an idolater, take the idol and place it in the shin tof. Which means, yeah, your buttocks. Someone's reputation is solid, that he's, he's, he's a playboy, you'll to embarrass him with gimel shin. Someone who has a, a reputation, not just, just a rumor. He's constantly doing it and openly. So you say, you say, Gimel, shin. Gimel means that you're a son of adulteress. He's even allowed to insult his mother. And Shin, you have a putrid name. Or Rashi says, uh, uh, you're an adulterer, and Shin means you're an imbecile. Hi, man, the shopper Shimon is shut a little but someone who has a sterling reputation, you're allowed to praise him. Man, the shopkeeper, whoever praises him, blessings will, will rest in his head. 
Hadnah, we conclude the third chapter of Megillah, and tomorrow, with Hashem's help, we're going to st- start the fourth and final chapter of Megillah, Mazel Tov.